0: Our lectionary reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. I invite you to follow along or simply listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As Jesus stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons, met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said, legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herds heard what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man whom the demons had gone, whom, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, "'Return to your home.'" and declare how much God has done for you. So we went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God. What does it mean to be a Christian? I don't think there's one right way to answer that question. For centuries, people of faith have argued about it. Theologians have written innumerable books, and pastors have preached countless sermons that seek to offer an explanation. Denominations have split over the question. Wars have been fought because people disagreed. Though the stakes seem impossibly high given this backdrop, when it comes right down to it, I think we each have to discern our own answers in our own time. If I polled the entire congregation asking each of you what it means to be a Christian, I doubt any two responses would be exactly the same. If I asked you right now, then asked you, a year from now, I'd be willing to bet your answers might be a little different. Our faith is ever evolving, reformed, and always reforming. Certainly, there are many different facets to our identity as people of faith, but despite the myriad of ways our, lives, our spiritual lives can take shape, to me, There's one thing that undergirds Christian faith and practice. One thing that unites us across even profound differences. As Christians, we're people who rejoice in and proclaim the good news. At the heart of our faith is the good news that we are made in the divine image The good news that God took on flesh and dwelt among us. The good news that Jesus is risen. The good news that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The good news that nothing can separate us from the love of God. The good news that God will one day wipe every tear from our eyes and mourning and crying and pain will be no more. In his very first sermon, Jesus says that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him because God anointed him to bring the good news to the poor. God had sent him to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who were oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in his final words to the disciples, Jesus instructs them to go to all the nations, sharing this good news with people everywhere. As Christians, who are we if not people who rejoice in and proclaim the good news? This is one of the reasons I think it's important to celebrate Juneteenth in the context of Christian worship. It commemorates the day that the good news of freedom reached the farthest corners of our nation. On the morning of June 19, 1865, Union Major General Gordon Granger arrived on the island of Galveston to take command of more than 2,000 federal troops that had recently landed in Texas to enforce emancipation and oversee Reconstruction. Granger's men marched throughout Galveston reading General Order No. 3 and informing all Texans that in accordance with a proclamation from the Executive of the United States, all formerly enslaved people were now free. Hallelujah. Often called Jubilee Day or Freedom Day, Juneteenth became a day of celebration. The thing is... Not everyone regarded emancipation as good news, and the gospel of freedom spread slowly. Did you catch the date that all of this took place? June of 1865. That's two and a half years after Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Why did it take so long for the good news to reach the shores of Texas. Sure, things were different back then. In a time before internet or telephone, communication wasn't instant. But we all know that it was more than that. Enslavers knew that freedom would cost them. Emancipation meant lost labor, lost profits, and most importantly, lost power. It threatened both their financial security and their sense of racial superiority. They had a vested interest in ensuring word didn't get out. For white Christians like me, this is a sobering reminder that all too often we've inhibited the good news of freedom and stood in the way of liberty and justice for all. This was true in the aftermath of the Civil War, and it's still true today. Instead of proclaiming the good news of release to the captives and freedom for the oppressed, we've stayed silent. Through our participation in unjust, discriminatory systems built on white supremacy, we've impeded the spread of the gospel of liberation. White folks like me can't commemorate Juneteenth without being convicted of the ways we've done harm, both historically and in our contemporary context. After all, the ways we marginalize black folks in the United States are legion, and there's much that stifles our prophetic witness. Maybe that's why, when I read our lectionary passage this morning, I can't help but identify with the townspeople and the swine herds. Like the people of Texas on the morning of Juneteenth, they were about to witness something that they probably never thought they'd see in their lifetimes. They all knew about this demon-possessed man, and they'd written him off. He was too far gone to be healed, too captive to know freedom. As commentator Debbie Thomas writes, every night they'd hear him shrieking among the tombs, haunting the place of the dead. When they were quick enough, they'd catch him, wrap his wrists and ankles in chains, and haul his naked body, securely shackled, back to town. But there was no containing the crazy. He escaped each time trailing broken chains behind him. He wandered the wilds, tearing at his skin until it bled, trading one kind of pain for another. If he had a name, no one knew it. If he had a history, no one remembered it. If he had a soul worth saving inside his living corpse, no one saw it. No one looked. Until Jesus did. Jesus sees the possibility of freedom where others only saw bondage. He knew that liberation was possible because he could see through the layers of oppression to the core of this man's humanity. And so he does what only he can do. He uses his power to bring healing and freedom and restoration to this man who'd been hurting and disconnected and ostracized. brought forth life and death-dealing circumstances. He proclaimed the good news of release to the captives. The thing is, not everyone regarded freedom as good news. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? When the townspeople see that the demon-possessed man is healed, they don't rejoice. They express no relief, no gratitude, no hospitality, no awe. Instead, they recoil in fear, and beg Jesus to go to go away. The swineherds complain because this man's freedom cost them something. Goodness knows somebody had to pay for all those pigs. How dare Jesus mess with their livelihood? Who did he think he was, hurting their bottom line, ruining their profit margins, and destroying their way of life? That's just not the way they did things over on this side of the lake. Though they found the healed man sitting peacefully at Jesus' feet, completely clothed and in his right mind, Luke tells us that the townspeople were seized with fear, Surely they could see that his demeanor had changed, that he wasn't poised to attack them, that they were safe. Why were they so afraid then? Were they afraid of change, preferring to embrace the demons that they know rather than the freedoms they don't? Were they afraid of social and economic upheaval, afraid that they'd lose whatever power, and privilege they had because this man was restored to wholeness? Were they afraid that their easy categories and labels, who's good and who's bad, no longer made any sense? Were they afraid that the good news wasn't for them, that they'd been left out of God's graces? Scripture doesn't say but our experience as people who who have witnessed white resistance to the centuries-long struggle for black freedom tells us that these sorts of fears are prevalent and deeply entrenched in our lives, in our families, and even in our churches. I think that's one reason why the work of anti-racism is so challenging. It involves confronting just these sorts of deep-rooted fears. It requires that we examine our hearts and notice when our fears or biases or ignorance are preventing us from rejoicing in the good news of God's liberating love. It means naming the demon, calling out oppression in no uncertain terms, even if it scares us or makes us uncomfortable. It demands that we tear down any barriers to restoration and wholeness, no matter the cost. And like the freed garrison and the freed Texans, it means telling the story of freedom, spreading the gospel of jubilee until people far and wide can finally celebrate. May that be our mission this Juneteenth, may we be Christians who rejoice in and proclaim the good news. Amen.